the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. Joining us tonight, this is uh, Sunday night we were recording this. Uh, you'll be listening to it on Monday. I'm sure you all wake up and immediately get your subscribed Hoop Collective podcast every Monday morning. We appreciate it. Uh, joining us uh, tonight from Seattle is the machine, Kevin Pelton. Kevin, I hope you are doing well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just safe here and uh, watching what's unfolding downtown on TV and Twitter. Joining us from New Orleans, our Pelicans beat writer uh, and all-around good guy, Andrew Lopez. Welcome back, Andrew. How are you doing? I, I appreciate that. All-around good guy. I might just I might put that in my Twitter <laughs> bio now. <laughs> Uh, sometimes your shoe choice is a little strange, but I'm no connoisseur. <laughs> and the other voice you hear is that of Malika Andrews, who's joining us from New York. Um, Malika, uh, we are in a complicated, serious, and um, unfortunate time. Um, there's a lot of anger, and um, I don't know if I've ever seen anger like this. Um, I was talking to my mother today, who's in her 70s, and she said that it reminds her in many ways of things that happened in the 60s. And oh. she she's depressed because uh, here we are 50-some years later, and, and um, the ball hasn't moved on the field at all. And the reason we're talking about this um, on an NBA podcast is because right now, despite the virus that is overhanging everything in the country and despite the all kinds of attempts to return to play the thing that is on the absolute front of every or most nba players minds and on their tongues and in their souls is frustration and anger um malika what is your experience been in new york city and i know that you talked to josh okoji who plays for the minnesota timberwolves where um I wouldn't say this started; it continued in Minnesota. Yeah. But um, uh, what 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 have what has the last few days been like for you? Oh man, Brian! I mean, it's it's been an exhausting couple of days for for Black Americans, for all Americans, but especially Black Americans, including myself, including NBA players. And you know, I think that uh, Dwayne Casey would probably agree with your mother. He issued a statement basically saying, are we still doing this? Really? Do we still have to have these conversations? And clearly the answer is yes, because, um, this keeps coming up again and again and again. And like you said, the Minneapolis has been an apex of it, but there have been huge protests and demonstrations in New York City. I've been listening to sirens and police cars just go by my apartment. Malika, we just you just had to relocate in your apartment because the sirens are coming by the street. And <laughs> yeah. I just felt like, you know, it wasn't too long ago that the sirens were rolling through New York because of COVID and now sirens are rolling through New York again. Um, yeah. It's um sometimes you just have to put in headphones because it can be a lot at times. Um and it's a lot for these players too, like you said, I mean, I I spoke with Josh uh, this weekend, and and Josh went to the rally that Stephen Jackson organized in Minneapolis, where he spoke because he um, talked about being close friends with George Floyd, the man um, that was killed by a police officer in Minneapolis. And uh, Josh told me that the way that uh, he ended up 
being there was he was texting around with some of his friends trying to figure out what he could do texting with Steven Jackson once he heard that he was going to be doing something. Um, And he reached out to his teammates and said, Hey, you know, I'm happy to go by myself and be the one that represents us. I am, you know, I I don't have a family that's living uh, in such close quarters with me right now. I'm happy to be the person that does it. Um, But Carl Anthony Towns, who just lost his mother to coronavirus, which has been disproportionately killing black people, um, said, no, I'll I'll go with you, too. And so when I talked to Josh, he was just telling me, one, about how emotional it was to be there, how many people were so sad and so angry and so hurt and frustrated and defeated, um, but also what it says about Carl that he would decided to show up even though he was grieving. And, and what Josh said to me is that it just shows you just how big of a problem this is that someone who just lost their mother, who he was extremely close with will leave his house during a pandemic and go and stand next to these people who are, are grieving and mourning in different ways too. Um, and so it's, it's really been a, um, a difficult emotional week is the only way I can describe it for, for these players. Well, one of the reasons we're talking about this right now is the, that the NBA players have gone and they are on the front lines of many of these uh, mm. protests and demonstrations. A lot of people have made statements, and, mm-hmm. there's no, and I don't and I don't want to downplay a statement because um, putting your voice behind something, if you are a high profile person, um, there's an incredible value in that. But the NBA players are. This is what they are focused on. This is what they are doing. They are, uh, Jalen Brown of the Celtics drove from Boston to Atlanta to be a part of, uh, uh, protests there. Malcolm Brogdon, I believe, of the Pacers joined him there. I don't know. I don't know if he was there or if he came down or whatever. But, um, Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why we're talking about this is because this is what the NBA is right now. This is the most important thing in the NBA. Um, Andrew, uh, uh, you know, New Orleans is a city that has been through a lot, and um, uh, I know that you have a good feel for the fabric of that city. Um, and it's something that uh, also dealt, unfortunately, with a lot of coronavirus. And now another thing that that's being dealt with. What is what are you hearing and feeling um, in the NBA there? Yeah, it's it, it, it's been a really weird time. Uh, down here in, in terms of, in, in first of dealing with Corona, because uh, New Orleans was one of the cities that was hit hardest uh, right out the gates, basically um, in part because of, because of Mardi Gras celebration that took place throughout the, the month of February. And, and as, as Malika said, it hit uh, the black community here a, a lot harder than, uh, than, than some others. And it, it's been, it's been a challenge and, and, for New Orleans, we're just starting to kind of uh, we're getting to that point where the curve is flattened. We're getting to the point where um, the you're, you're starting to see the the phase one of of reopening. And uh, for this to then happen, uh, I mean, I got to be honest. I mean, I've I'm born and raised in New Orleans. I've been here my entire life. So w- when things happen for for my city, I I, I feel it. And and I, I was worried when when all this went down. I was worried when. Uh, when George Floyd happened and, and other cases around that, because it's a, sometimes you do feel like New Orleans is, is a powder keg. And I've actually been, been very happy with how we've reacted to it as a, as a community of, 
of, of peaceful protest, uh, both, mm. uh, both Saturday and Sunday. Um, you've seen, uh, some, some, some LSU players speak out. Some, some of the Pelicans have kind of, uh, you know, posted things on Instagram or, or, or tweeted messages, uh, we just before we came on, we we're talking about how Alonzo Ball and his entire family is is out. Uh, they were out in the protest out there um, in the Los Angeles area. So uh, for for the city itself here, it's been uh, it, it's been pleasant for its for what was about to be a next step, and then they can start looking towards you know a summer and and, and doing things like that for for them to to react the way they have is uh, you know it's 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 kind of been really proud to to, to be from here with. Um, how, how things have been going in other places. Paul, I know that you said that um, before we came on that you were particularly moved by um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's um, op-ed that he wrote in the LA Times. Uh, I think it was yesterday came out. Maybe it was Friday. Um, there's been a there's been a lot of things uh, written and said. I just don't know if uh, I don't I don't know if anybody c- can capture it. It's it's a very difficult thing to put into words even for someone as eloquent as Kareem. But I think, you know, it's having so many people attempt to do that and so many people that, you know, we as part of the NBA community or even if you're just a fan and, you know, following the league, people that we know, trust, care about deeply, sharing their experience. And, you know, hopefully that gets through to people. That's an opportunity to understand and experience that those of us who aren't African-American can't ever walk in those shoes and experience personally. Uh, Kareem, I think, is you know a really interesting case because you know there's been a lot of conversation in the past about this generation of NBA players and how much more socially active they are than you know certainly the the players in the 90s and you know Michael Jordan. We got into that in the Last Dance how he tended not to take a side mm. oftentimes on issues like this. But, mm. you know, Kareem, I don't think gets his due is someone who, you know, in a modern time more recently than some of his, you know, very, uh, his predecessors in terms of, you know, Bill Russell, Oscar Robertson, who are also on the front lines of, you know, the civil rights movement at that point. Uh, but Kareem, someone who has continued that and continued to advance that over decades and decades now. And, and Kevin, I mean, you, you mentioned that these, these players, uh, this younger generation of players is more active and uh, more politically active, more that um, we, we just see a lot more activism from this group of players. But one conversation that, you know, kind of bubbled up is LeBron James has been a, a thought leader in that space for a long time. And there's, you know, questions start to swirl about as he gets to the end of his career, potentially who takes that over, right? And now you're seeing the really young guys. I mean, Dennis Smith Jr. Um, w- was was out protesting. You saw, you know, uh, Lonzo, like you said, Jordan Clarkson yeah. was out there. Um, you know, Wilson Chandler, who's a little bit older, was protesting in New York. You're seeing different younger guys come out and and speak up, and not just speak up, but put their actions and their donations behind it. Malik Beasley posted that, he just had his 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 girlfriend just had a baby, and so he didn't feel like right now he could go out and protest. But he said, "Look, I wanted to, and these are the black businesses that I'm donating to." And so that makes me look at okay, there is you know this isn't a um, you know a, a LeBron specific thing. It's a it's there are so many guys in this league right now who um, feel moved to 
care and to push because they are NBA players. But as, as Jalen Brown said in that video, I'm an NBA player, I'm a celebrity, but he was also out there as a black man. And seeing those younger voices, the Malcolm Brogdons, the Jalen Browns, um, it, it makes it feel and seem to me that this isn't something that's going to be going away in terms of how NBA players operate um, until hopefully uh, there are some changes that are made. Um, how NBA players uh, conduct themselves and show leadership and, and show their voice and use their platform and how the infrastructure of the NBA uh, either supports or rises with them or or in some cases may not be as supportive as watching it is I mean it, it, this is a this affects everybody just like the virus where everybody's affected this affects everybody whether you want to admit it or not this is a these are very important times and very sensitive times and I just the the anger that I see um I this feels different you know we have seen this throughout our lives unfortunately this one feels different and this particular set of circumstances with not just the terrible event that happened in Minneapolis, but the other things that have been going on in our country are coming together. And it, uh, it makes this a very potentially historic, but also potentially sad time for us. So um, my God, can you imagine the things that we're going to be telling when we're older about the year 2020. Hmm. My God. Good luck um, to the children that have to study this in school. <laughs> That's, yeah. I, mean. I mean, I've got a two-year-old and I've, and I've thought, yeah. you know, he's just such a happy kid. You know, he, he doesn't, he can't be around any friends. You know, we, we keep him home and he can't be around any friends, but he doesn't know any better. You know, he doesn't know that he's missing, you know what he's missing. And, um, you know, I remember when I was became conscious, you know, when I was, you know, what, seven, eight, nine. And then when you start becoming learned when you're, you know, in your teens, like hearing about things that happened when I was alive. But, you know, thinking we, I was alive, but I had no idea. Well, this is going to be one of those things. He has no idea. And mm. I wonder what I'm going to tell him about all of 2020 because I'm almost afraid of what's going to happen next. Uh, before we move on, I'd like to tell you something about Bambi. When running a business, HR issues can be really tough to handle. There's wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and of course, HR manager salaries aren't cheap. They average $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for those small business needs. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding determinations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. Month-to-month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help and get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash hoop right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash hoop. 
spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash hoop. All right, so uh, we are going to pivot and start um, talking about the NBA. The league has to do business. As, as difficult as everything is and as, um, as much emotion is pouring out to so many places, um, there is no choice. The league must do business. And um, part of that business is over the next four days uh, getting a plan together for the restart uh, of the NBA. They're really hoping to have a vote in front of the owners on Thursday this week on what their plan is going to be. Um, now, typically what happens in the NBA, and this we're not in a typical situation, so I'm not sure how it will play out. But typically what happens in the NBA when there is a vote – We've talked about this on the podcast before, but there's a vote before the owners. Typically, it's all been hashed out beforehand, whether it's uh, by the commissioner uh, or it's by committees. Uh, the, you know, the ownership groups will have committees, um, you know, the rules committee, um, you know, various other committees. They will put their recommendation forward and it passes. Um, this is a little bit different, but uh, my guess is that this is going to get worked out before Thursday. Um so Woj has reported, I believe, with Ramona that there is a there is an inclination towards a 20 or 22 team format here, that almost certainly it is not going to be the full 30, that it is probably going to be playoffs plus uh, 16 teams um, that are already in the playoffs plus another format. Um, before I sort of break down what's going on there, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of that. Kevin, do you – you know, hearing that, is that something that you think is the way to go after everything we've gone through and, and tried to study up on in the last few weeks? I feel like I've heard enough plans over the last few weeks that I'm just like ready for the NBA to make a decision and no longer have a strong feeling either <laughs> way. But, but like, I, just, I, I don't know that I could take one more plan. Uh, I, I think if you're going to do more than just go to the 16 playoff teams, to me, 20 teams makes the most sense. I think it's those five teams fighting for the last spot in the Western Conference that realistically have a chance. I, I suppose you can make a case for Phoenix uh, joining that group as well. but Well, I, 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 I do want to bring that up real quick. The, the, the difference between 20 and 22, if it's 20, it's pretty clear that it's going to be the four teams in the West that are outside the Grizzlies and eight. So Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, Spurs. But if it's 22, who's the other two? Um, well, F- Phoenix and Washington would be, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm misreading this, aren't I? No. Yeah. Fort- no, New Orleans. Phoenix and Washington. Yeah. Phoenix and Washington. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the problem with that. It's just so, just so difficult. Like how is that fair to Charlotte? Charlotte, and Chicago, I mean, they're right on Washington's heels. Um, uh, it, this is what happens when you draw this line. It it becomes complicated. Like, Phoenix is six games out of the playoffs, so you're going to say, boy, you're going to include Phoenix? Um, well, Charlotte's seven games out. So they say, oh, six games is, is feasible, but seven is not. Uh, you know, I don't know how you – I know that I've heard some shenanigans – to use Jackie's line about, oh, the historically blah, blah, blah. But I mean, if you're going to say six, why not seven? Why not eight? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I, I think, I, I think it's squishy. I don't, I don't like, I don't like it. It smells. 
I think yeah. other people probably think that it smells too, but I, I would I would venture to say that no matter whether you know whether they they draw the line at um, twenty or twenty, there's going to be someone no matter the scenario. And I can't take one more scenario. I agree with Kevin. Um, there is going to be someone on some team somewhere that is going to have no matter the solution that comes out that is going to be have a have an issue. I, I don't know that we can that, that the league can achieve total fairness in putting well, this plan fair. together. <laughs> the the six game thing doesn't make much sense to me when when the Pels fell back uh, when they lost to Minnesota in like the the first time they lost to Minnesota in early March. Um, I had Elias look this up. Uh, only one team in the history of the sixteen team playoff format has come back from being five games back with twenty games to play, and that was the ninety six ninety seven Bullets. Pels had fell five back. Now they were sitting at three and a half in that group with Portland, Sacramento, and then San Antonio was four. I, I just, when you get to six, I, that just seems like just a weird number to me. Um, but I felt like if it was going to be six, I guess that's, that's how you had to get like Washington in there. And that's how you had to get Phoenix in there. It just, it, it felt like 20 was such a good number. If you were going to bring back teams who, who we think maybe realistically had a chance. And then the well, 22 curveball was just kind of caught me off guard. <laughs> there's one possibility that I'll discuss in a second, but you know, I can't help, but, um, Think about that game that night, March 11th, that was canceled yep. in Sacramento. Yep. Um, it, it's, you know, Portland, New Orleans, and Sacramento are all tied, um, uh, virtually tied. They've played a different number of games. So New Orleans and Sacramento were actually technically tied for 10th um, because they are one, was it one one thousandth of a percentage point behind <laughs> Portland? Right. Um, but if. If that game had been played, look, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, they didn't want to play. They were concerned because one of the referees had just refereed a jazz game. Yes. Fine. Played the winner of that game would potentially have a, the argument may look different here. I mean, one of the reasons why this is um, difficult is because you have three teams that are essentially tied and the Spurs are, are a game back. I mean, not having played that game makes a difference, not necessarily in like, the play-in, but the perception of it, I feel like, because it's hard to do this with, with teams tied. Andrew, let me ask you this. Um, do you do you believe with all your heart, I, or maybe you can just tell me what, <laughs> what you're hearing, but do you honestly believe that the Pelicans want to play? Yes, they they do. And I, I think it was it's it's kind of the same thing of if, if there is a path to the playoffs – uh, they want to play, and I do think that um, the the players have they they have want to play. And I think when when they were opening up facilities, there were several players who came back to the facility. There were several who went and said, "Look, this is too restrictive. I can go get I can go someplace else and and get better uh, better prepared uh, back home." So I, for they do want to play, and I think um, as as long as it's a, a a path that isn't going to end up taking too much time. I think as, as you're stretching it out here, that that start date that we've had kind of kiss, keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And I think at some point, if you're going to do 22 teams and have this, this eight-game uh, regular season before the play-in and then do seven games for each round, like that, 
the end date gets pushed back further and further, and then we start worrying about next year. And I think that's some of the concern, not just for New Orleans, but well, what for about, some other teams. What about, I mean, look, they can't say this. Like the, the front office, especially if the, when the players want to play, do you think that the front office has any concern about Zion in this situation? Uh, no. Having t- no, no, no concern, huh? No, because so the NBA allowed Zion, uh, David, uh, David Griffin, the Pels executive vice president, um, told us this, uh, told the media this maybe, maybe two or three weeks ago now. Uh, Zion was actually permitted to be uh, at the facility for his rehab purposes only throughout this break. So uh, between that um, and he, he, he apparently had a goal at his house too. And the, what the Pels did was they took some of the weight equipment uh, from the facility, sent it home, according to Alvin Gentry. They, they sent it to players or, or had players order different things. So he was staying in shape uh, knowing – I think he prepped for this the entire time, kind of thinking that they were going to restart the season and knowing for him uh, that that was very important for him to, uh, to stay in the shape. And obviously but by them uh, going through with his rehab – uh, they they also kind of knew like this is something that they wanted to uh, to stay on top of the entire time. Pelton, would you want if you were uh, running the the Pelicans? I know what you'd have to say publicly. Would you want Zion Williamson um, going and playing in a potential high volume uh, outside your normal training situation bubble? Would you want him to play in this situation? I think I'd want to be careful with him, certainly, but I I think at some point, like, you need him to play these, you know, important yeah. NBA games. Like, this is an opportunity. And it's also an important situation, I think, for the Pelicans in general to figure out kind of where they stand going into next season. Uh, you've potentially got a decision at some point coming on whether you trade Drew Holiday. Uh, this is a chance to figure out kind of how far away you are. I can't tell you how many conversations I have had about the Pelicans from people <laughs> over the last two weeks. I have teams telling me the NBA wants to rig this so the Pelicans get in. They want Zion. They want Zion for ratings. I've had people tell me, you know, Zion should not want to be taken care of by the league like this because it gives off a, a bad impression. Whether he, whether he's not, he doesn't get to make the decision anyway. I've had other people say to me that. They don't think that the Pelicans, you know, really want to play because they're worried about protecting Zion because um, they're not going to have their full training facilities and they're, you know, this is going to be all rushed and everything. And then, of course, we have what Griff and the players have said publicly, which is that they want to play. I can't tell you how many conversations, and I'm not bringing it up, Lopez. People <laughs> bring it up to me. Well, here's the here's the thing about the, I mean. If if I'm the NBA and I'm having some sort of experimental bubble, would I like Zion Williamson to be in the bubble? Of course, I'd want Zion Williamson to be in the bubble. But if if it was solely that, to me, then why are we even talking about 22 teams? Because he's in the 20. So <laughs> why is there another plan? Because we have him in in the 20. So let's just go with the 20. So, so I'm going to tell you why I think. Now I want to. Here's my disclaimer. <laughs> this is my speculation. This is what my uh, informed guess slash opinion is. The reason that they're talking about 22 teams is because they are going to have to 
try to save as many regular season games as they possibly can. And you may say, why? Why worry about regular season games? Um, and here is what I think is going on. Um, NBA players do not get paid for the playoffs. They only get paid for the regular season. There are 259 games left. If they proceed directly to the playoffs, those 259 games are canceled and $650 million in additional salary is technically lost. And they don't have to ask the players. They could just take it um, because of the force majeure clause that covers the event of a pandemic. They can just take the money. Um, but they can't make the players go to Orlando get into a bubble for two months and play made up games. So what I mean by made up games is invented games, which is what this play in tournament is. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to have some value to play something that they call regular season games, because that means checks can go to the players. Um, now this is going to require a negotiation with the union because Obviously, there are certain teams out there that if all the regular season games were canceled, some of them would have 19 games checks missing. Some would have 15 game Uh checks missing. Also, what do you tell the Charlotte Hornets? I'm sorry you were seven games out, so you don't get your game checks. What do you tell the teams that are totally out of it, like the Cavs? I'm sorry you don't get your game checks. Not going to happen, right? There's got to be a negotiation there. Um, And so – they have been having these discussions for weeks leading up to this. Um, and unlike baseball, where there's this acrimony where the owners sort of huddle together and then don't say anything and then slap a proposal on the table and say, how do you feel about this? <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a group of players within the union and a lot of union leadership who, who is meeting and talking with Adam Silver regularly. And Michelle Roberts even said last week she didn't even think there would need to be a vote because the players have been – involved in the process throughout. So they're going to have to make a deal, but it behooves them to have some regular season games to try to give some of that money back. Now, they're still going to lose money. It's one of the reasons why the paychecks have started getting docked 25% um, because they're sort of setting money aside so that the players have a fund where they can deal with this. Um you know, and I don't know where the safety comes down on that, whether, you know, you're supposed to be safe and protecting people in a bubble, but you also got to worry about trying to make some of this money back. Um, Malika, are you, are you, if they do this 20 or 22 and they each team plays eight games or what have you before a playoff starts, what do you think the quality of those games is going to be? Oof. I mean, <laughs> some of the those oof, games. The oof said it all. <laughs> yeah, oof, period. Um, you know, I, I think some of those games might resemble um, some of the just sluggish, ugly games we can see kind of early on. I think that there is going to be a, a lot of teams that potentially just have a lot of rust to shake off just because, I mean, Wendell Carter told me the other week, 
there is no way to prepare to play basketball truly other than to play basketball. You know, the Bucks too, kept their facility open for um, injured players were able to go in before uh, the rest of the team was able to go in there. But that's not the same as, as, you know, banging up against five other guys running up and down the court playing five on five basketball. There's nothing that can prepare you for that except for the reps of actually doing it. And we're talking about an unprecedented, you know, over two month layoff that they've had in the middle of the season. Um, and so I think that we're going to see uh, a little bit of um, some yikes out there, but then there are teams like Moki who, you know, I'm told one of the reasons they feel pretty confident going back in is, Oh, we see one guy out there that, that looks like didn't quite get, get his wheels back under him. All right. Well, we have so much depth that we can send out another guy and potentially cover up for that a little bit. Um, but I, I think there might be some, some, some summer league esque moments just kind of in the beginning as things are getting back to, uh, as these guys are getting their feet back under them. I mean, we, there is no blueprint for this. There is, there is nothing really to compare this to, um, it's an off season in the, in mid season. Pelton. Um, one of the things about the world cup proposal, the concept of pool play, everybody plays each other twice. And the, you know, the top teams advance to the second round. One of the reasons why that, one of the problems there was that, you know, let's say you play one round, you play five or six games and one team's one in four and they play a team that's two and three. They both know they're out of it. Uh, now I would say, well, Welcome to a quarter of the games in April in the NBA. But, um, you know, what incentive is there for those teams to play anybody, much less put together a product? And there was going to be this series of sort of dead games or just like these consolation games. Um, I don't know if we're not going to end up with the exact same thing. I mean, the idea of building a regular season so the players get paid and then create a an eight, nine fighter, maybe it's a seven, eight, nine, ten fighter, however they're going to cut the line. The, the idea is that they, all these teams fight and they don't have to make eighth, that if they make ninth or 10th, they can have even another bite at the apple. Um, I think that's the structure that's being proposed, um, you know, play out some games and, and, and sort of give you a, a chance to make the preliminary and then the playoff. Do you think that's going to be enough to ensure they're going to, everyone's going to compete in this. I, I think so. I mean, you know, all the structures we've seen proposed for play in tournaments in the past have really heavily advantaged the teams that are highest in the standings. So, you know, if you're the 11th seed, you might have to win four games. And if you're the eighth seed, you might only have to win, win one. Not that we know that that's necessarily going to be the format, but something along those lines. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of stake for those teams. And, you know, fortunately it works out pretty well with the standings that just about everybody has something to play for, you know, even at the very top. Uh, the Lakers are, you know, two games back in the loss column of Milwaukee for the top overall seed. That's still in play when those two teams have kind of separated from the rest of their conferences. Assuming we stick with conferences, you know, there's there's some battles, you know, for. Oh, what does the top sixth. overall seed mean? You get to wear white uniforms. I mean, like, <laughs> right. you know, uh... it's got a lot less meaning, but you know, it's potentially an easier first round matchup. Right. I, well, I especially certainly... if they seed one through sixteen, which I highly, which sounds like is not going to happen. Yeah, but uh, it wouldn't. It would matter that a little bit. I think the other difference, though, is you know, let's say that 
we talked about Washington and they might not have they they really are not going to have much to play for in the regular season if they're there because they're so far behind Orlando for eighth they pretty much know where they're going to be uh so you know I think that's that's not a good thing to have. That's part of the reason I would favor a 20-team group restart instead of 22 teams. But it's also very different, you know, whoever ends up playing Washington. And one of the big questions I have is, okay, if we're making up these eight to nine games, whatever, per team, how do we schedule those? But it's not the same as where it's going to influence, you know, like if one of the teams at the top of the group when you're playing this group stage gets those tanking teams at the end of it, that could make a big difference because there's only 10, it's only a 10-game sample as opposed to here, it's still a 70-game sample. Sample. The other thing I, I would question is, you know, when and these obviously it's these regular, they, obviously the schedule that exists is going to be blown up. They're going to create the, a schedule for this. Who are they going to like? Are, are the Lakers going to have some games against the Bucks in this uh, little uh, thing, or are they going to? How are they going to do that? Like, uh, we're going to get some Clippers Lakers action. I mean, I would assume that there's going to be a, a desire to have that because it's television product. Um, but at the same time, I'm not so sure those teams want to play each other like that. I, I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know. If, I don't know what the, I'm sure they've got a method. I'm not it'd sure become, how it's going to go. It'd be kind of fun. Conference USA and uh, men's basketball does a flexible schedule where your like second half of the conference season is determined basically by you do how you do in the first half so that they mm-hmm. keep kind of the contending teams against each other. Yeah, you, it's the first time I've ever heard that. I had no idea yep, that was true. It is. It is something, man. <laughs> it's it is certainly different. I, I don't USA, know how it works. In who in New Orleans is in Conference USA? Tulane is in the AAC. Is, is Tulane in? Tulane, Conference uh, Louisiana Tech is in Conference USA. So oh, okay. This is in Conference USA. I know some coaches there, so it was. Um, but anything weird scheduling wise, I'll try to find. <laughs> like, I'm just, I, I'm just <laughs> interested in what. What are you doing, <laughs> Andrew? Um, the Pelicans, the battle cry of the Pelicans for the last two months has been that they had the easiest schedule of all these yeah. teams coming home, mm-hmm. and the Grizzlies had the toughest schedule. Um, I don't see how that that situation can be resolved. They're just going to have to do this. They're just going to have to win their right. way in. Um, is there are there is there lamenting that this is a missed opportunity and that this may not be quote unquote fair? I don't know if they're they're going to say that it, they don't think it's fair um, because I, I I do think while they do want to play, uh, if if the NBA were to say look take the sixteen, I, I don't think there would be much crying inside the. Pelicans uh, facility um, that they have to go straight to the uh, to the to the offseason. Obviously, they, they want to play if they have a chance. But uh, yeah, the Memphis's schedule was going to be the hardest left in the NBA. Uh, the Pelicans was going to be the easiest. The Pelicans had, uh, I think, of their final 15 games on their schedule, 14 were against teams uh, currently under 500. Uh, and the only one that wasn't was a home game against the 76ers, who uh, were pretty terrible on the road this year. So <laughs> things were lining up for them. And I think uh, if, if there is just, a, I think for them, they just want a fair shot in what this play in regular season tournament looking thing is going to be. Um, they feel good against the teams that were in that mix. They were four and zero against Portland. Uh, they were two and zero against Memphis. They had already beat Sacramento. Um, I think they lost to San Antonio in the only game they played them, which was the, the Zion debut game, which, I think things were a little uh, out of whack in, in, in that game. So 
Uh, they felt good about who they had left to play because I think 11 of their 18 games would have been against the final, the seven teams who are also going to be in this mix if you include yeah, Washington and Orlando. Yeah, they had three games left with the Kings, right? They had two games left with the Kings because oh, they were only going to play them three times this year. Oh, I see. That's what it was. Three, three against San Antonio, one against Phoenix, two against Memphis, and they beat Memphis. Uh, they were up on Memphis by 25 in each game. Uh, and then they already had the, the tiebreaker against Portland. So they felt really good. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to lament. I mean, obviously their their fans are trying to say, "Oh, this is this is not fair," but if this is global pandemic time. Nothing is fair. You're not allowed to make that <laughs> argument. So uh, as long as they think they have a a chance to get in, like like you were saying, I, I don't know what this schedule looks like for these guys when they get into the to the bubble. How many times did they play some of these teams? Uh, what does this this little regular season look like? Um, so as long as they feel like they get a a, a proper chance, I think they're they're okay with where things are inside the organization, at least. Malika, on a scale of 1 to 10, I know what's been said. I know what's been written. On a scale of 1 to 10. Oh, God, it's zero. Go, go ahead. <laughs> that, uh, that Kevin Durant, what do you think about doing this? Here, I mean, okay, uh, wait, is, is 10 absolutely and 1 absolutely not? One zero, or I guess I guess <laughs> okay. it's gonna be one. One is he ain't playing. All right. Ten is he's gonna play. I will put it at a two, and here's why. All inclinations are no. I mean, we've heard Rich Kleiman say on the record three, four times since the league has shut down that you know it, it, it's not likely. It doesn't look like it'll happen. Sean Marks has told me that, you know, it, it's the million-dollar question, but he wasn't even able to be really in the facility for most of it. Likely not. I know that earlier um, in the season, Rich Kleiman had kind of said, you know, well, maybe the Olympics would be a possibility, which now that that timeline, this timeline for the playoffs lines up with that, that's kind of what got people excited. The well, only reason was that you know, Sean Marks gave that interview in New Zealand where he correct he left where the door it's a million which, dollar question. Yeah. Which and here is here is the why it's a two and not a an absolute one is because the only person who truly and and you know this Brian the only person who's truly going to make that call is Kevin Durant. And so if if Kevin wakes up in the morning and decides, which he you know has been known to potentially do, hey, you know what, I feel like playing today then all right that leaves that little bit of room but from everything that i've been told both on and off the record all indications point to no um and that would be the one caveat i'd throw in there is that you know it's modern superstars get to decide what is best for their own bodies um and that's the the smidge i will leave but i i yeah i mean I you have to shocked. you have to hedge you have to hedge. i, I would mean be i surprised i would, I would just say surprised. that i he probably can play um and he probably would play well because one of the things that's been amazing about him in his career is that he comes back from injury and is just great immediately mm. um but number one very unlikely Kyrie would be able to join him i mean that's a four to six month injury and he had right the surgery in early March, and there's just no reason to rush that. And what are they so, playing for? I mean, well, that they becomes... could be playing. They could, <laughs> you know, it's look. It's one thing if they're playing Toronto in the first round. Right. It's another thing if they're playing the Lakers. But let me just say that <laughs> twice Durant has come back from injuries in his career and re-injured. One with the Jones fracture in his foot, which everybody forgets, which is good because that's an injury that's scary. That's pretty scary. A broken foot for a big mm-hmm. man. 
um, he actually had to have the surgery redone because um, of the Jones fracture. Or I don't know. I don't actually if you know if it rebroke, but he had to have the surgery redone. And um, and then of course last year when he comes back in the finals, I know that they say it wasn't the same injury, but I mean I think right. we don't need we don't need medical school to know. So I mean talk about twice bitten, thrice shy. Um, right. You know, I think that would that comes in, into play. But um, I like that you said it too because um, <laughs> oh, you told me there's a chance. Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> I know, no, I know. Look, I know. I, I understand. I can't, can't wait for that to be aggregated tomorrow. Malika Andrews says that. Says, 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 says it's a two. Oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, Pelton, what do you think? Go ahead, Go ahead. I was just going to say, if it's like a you know a, a zero to ten, how how confident would you feel if I left you to to watch? If you want to watch my son, you know, zero to ten, how comfortable do you feel that? Eh, like a two that I could keep him alive the whole time. Absolutely not. Right. I look. I understand what you're saying. I get it. I just um, I'm my only thing is I don't believe the door is locked. That's all I'm going to say. Um, Pelton, what do you think the most fair thing to do with – because one of the things that some of these teams are going to ask – I mean, not going to. They have asked. During the general manager's meeting last week, You know, one of the big questions was, hey, what's going to happen to our lottery odds? Uh, You know, that's what front offices are always thinking about. Um, What do you think the correct thing to do here is for that scenario, whether it's 20 or 22? I, yeah, I think you probably should count the remaining regular season games. And if a team wins the play-in tournament that was headed to the lottery, I think then they they are no longer in the lottery. I think that you know the the, the team that gets bumped out, presumably Memphis, in that case, probably should replace them. I think it's similar to you know we see this in the NFL where you know you're you're standing in the draft. They don't have a lottery, obviously, but it's. You know, the teams that are eliminated from the playoffs, that don't make the playoffs, then it's the teams that lose in the wild card round, in the division round, and so on and so forth. So I think probably the same logic holds there. What where, is that Memphis pick protection? Uh the Memphis pick protection is top six. So they okay. would have to they would have to win so, one of the four lottery spots. So there's no real way for them for Boston to really like in other words. I was thinking if the Celtics fans should root against the Grizzlies, but like, so instead of getting the, you know, I guess it could improve marginally if they fall out. Like, right, right. you know, right now they would be the 16th. 12th pick. Oh, I'm sorry, they would be the or 16th 17th. pick. They'd be 17th. They're the 14th seed if we'd gone one to 16. So if they play this and don't get in, they could get the 14th pick. Right. So it could improve a little bit, but not not dramatically. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose I really do believe this regular season game is all about maintaining money and what the ancillary benefit, the teams sort of get the teams at the top, get warm ups. but, um, I'm all for the players to keep some of their money. Like I, it's going to be big losses for them. So I don't, I get it. But, um, uh, Lopez, what do you think, uh, do you think the Pelicans can pull this off? Like, would you, would you think that, I mean, it, it's, it is, I will say this after I got my concern about Zion out, I want to see Zion pull something here, um, potentially do something amazing. Um, 
it actually could be great for him in the league if this all goes perfect. The heading into the the I guess the suspension, um, there was a little bit of a lull for them when they they dropped the game to uh, they were moving along pretty good and then they dropped two to, to the Lakers uh, and inexplicably lost at home to Minnesota and that was kind of the point where. Uh, the next night they lost in overtime to Dallas. And after that, they beat Miami at home, beat Minnesota, and were feeling really good going into Sacramento and then a key stretch where they were at Utah at, uh, at the Clippers. They felt really good. And I think what you were starting to see was the team that, that Griff had imagined in July, August, September of last year was finally starting to come together. Uh, Lonzo was healthy for the last three months of the season after uh, hurting his adductor muscle early. He was really coming along uh, fine and, and shooting it really, really well, um, especially for him with, with where he was. I think he was over 40 um, in the games that he played with Zion. Uh, Drew was doing Drew things. Zion was really starting to come around, averaging 26 over his last 10, shooting, I think, either right at 60 or right above that. Uh, Derek Favors was, was, was a highlight. Ingram was still playing. Uh, at his all-star level. So I think there was a lot of excitement building for once uh, for those last couple of games, JJ Redick missed a stretch of those. So once you added JJ back, it was finally going to be the healthiest the team had been all year. And I think while uh, a few other teams like Portland can, can also lay claim to the, they'll be the healthiest they have been all year. Uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to see what they can do even in this in this stretch together with Lonzo and Zion continuing their growth um I just want to see them do one of those like 67 foot alley hoops again like that was just fun to me I mean I will say this <laughs> yeah I mean while we while we're trading analysis about the actual play when you actually think about the games themselves which is the Grizzlies John Morant in must win games against Dame and his and his group of guys who are who get um, Collins and Nurkic back, assuming everything goes well with the Pelicans there. I mean, and the Kings, I mean, I don't know if they can carry. I mean, I don't know how you, you think anything, but the Kings were one of the hottest teams right. in the league. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They shut down. That's why I, I think know. a lot was going to be told by that game on, on March 11th. Yeah, that I know. What, that was what a big well, would have been. Yeah. You were at that game, Andrew? Yeah, I was actually uh, standing next to. Um, Griff, another Pelicans official and an NBA official, when the season was officially canceled, we all got the notification uh, at the same time, and we all kind of looked down and just was like, "Oh, so this is happening," and uh, and then just kind of scattered and went about our business. But I was I was standing there, still trying to figure out if they were going to play a game that night, because um, we had I think by that point, uh, right when the season was canceled, it was still probably or suspended, I should say, when the season was suspended, it was still maybe like an hour, hour and a half maybe to get to, to tip because it was the late ESPN game that night. And so we were we, we were thinking, okay, here it is. I'm, I'm starting to prep stuff for, you know, here's the last game before the NBA season is suspended. I'm, I'm getting story ideas ready. And then we start hearing about the referee and we're like, oh, like we might not be playing at all. And so uh, I remember standing in the in that corridor in, in Sacramento waiting to see what was going to happen. And the Pels never took the floor and, and then the rest is the rest is kind of history. I remember I was in New York when the season was canceled. I was on the pregame show for that, uh, Dallas game. Uh, who was that? Who Dallas was playing, uh, with, uh, Stephen A. And, um, I flew home. I, you know, changed my plans to fly home the next day. And I can remember flying home 
thinking about how the world was going to change. I'm sure you had the similar type of no. thoughts. Um, the, world, the world has changed even more than we thought. Um, so thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Um, encourage everyone to stay safe uh, in more ways than one and um, stay strong. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. We will talk to you next week when hopefully things are better. <laughs>